Football Pod on OTB Sports. And the best thing about Dublin, all through their great period, was the fact that they had these characters that when it came to the big moments and embraced the ground shaking crop The Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Very happy to say Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine is with us. So, Wimbledon 2022. Let's reflect. Where do you want to start? Men's or women's? Which grabbed you most over the weekend? There's more to talk about with the men's. The women's, uh, oof, both matches I was pretty underwhelmed by. But the men, I feel like, is a bit more of a juicy topic. Okay, so Novak Djokovic beats Kyrgios. Lost the first set, 6-4, and then 6-3, 6-4, 7-6. At 35 years of age, he's up to Grand Slam number 21. Nadal is on 22, Federer is uh, 20. So this is Wimbledon number seven, his fourth in a row. What's Djokovic's best surface? I mean, I guess, based on what you just said, grass, right? Uh, although he's got more titles uh, at the Australian Open. I mm. think that's where he's done the most damage. He likes a fast-paced ball. He likes pace. He's a great retriever. Um, and I think at this point, we have to say it's uh, it's grass. Although I was a little disappointed that the people who have played him in the last couple of years and that has included Roger Federer it's included Matteo Berrettini last year and this year uh, obviously it was Nick Kyrgios they didn't do enough with the grass to attack Novak Djokovic um, and really take the rally ball away from him so I'm excited to get into some of the specifics of the tactics because I think Novak Djokovic shouldn't be winning this many matches on grass. But, you know, what do I know? He's got seven Wimbledon titles, so clearly, clearly he doesn't need that much advice. No, you know plenty. Expand on that first then. Well, I think there are very few ways to beat Novak Djokovic. He's mentally uh, a towering giant of the sport. Say what you will about him and like him or not, you can't deny the fact that he's never out of a match. He contends every single ball. He fights until the bitter end. Uh, If anybody had watched the final that he played against Roger Federer, where on Roger Federer's serve, uh, there were two match points that Novak Djokovic just shrugged off and and went on to win the match. Uh, You know, I think... He never goes away. He plays amazing defense and you really can't build up enough of a lead to make it feel like he's, uh, he's out of it. So I think when you think about the way that he has lost grand slam matches in the past couple of years, aside from the occasional dud match, like he played uh, in this year's Roland Garros against Rafa Nadal, where he just didn't really contend or something like the U S open final last year, where he lost to Daniel Medvedev in what appeared to be some sort of, sort of strangely redeeming emotional cathartic journey where the crowd was finally on his side and he couldn't handle it and had an emotional breakdown. Mm. But if he's going to lose a tennis match, usually it's because somebody who who he's playing has superior firepower who hits through him. We've seen him lose to Stan Wawrinka in that manner, for example. And so watching the, the big hitters who've come up against Djokovic, especially on grass where that extra bit of speed, that extra... Uh, low bounce really gives a bit of an advantage to the first striker as opposed to the retriever or the counterpuncher, which is, you know, Jovac's, Novak Djokovic's real skill. You want to see them take initiative in the point and end it very quickly, either at the net or by hitting a clean winner. When Nick Kyrgios was able to do that this year, when last year Matteo Berrettini was able to do that, um, they won points quite easily and could dictate. But really what, what the problem is, is that style of tennis is very hard to sustain over five sets. And we saw Nick Kyrgios uh, be able to sustain it 
for a set in the first and half a set in the fourth, uh, you know, and obviously that's not quite enough. You get worn down. This was Kyrgios's first uh, final, 27 years of age. I do feel like even by the standards of Kyrgios, this has been an eventful Wimbledon. Certainly. I mean, I think two things really struck me about his run. Number one, the thing that everybody's been saying about him forever, which is that he's insanely talented, possesses any shot if he wants it, and really can dictate the terms of play is in fact true. The other thing is, this was a pretty weak draw. Wimbledon's very controversial decision not to allow a number of top-ranked players, including Danil Medvedev, uh, really robbed the draw of, of a lot of firepower. And, you know, if you think about the types of people who would normally stop a Nick Kyrgios from reaching the final, just not being there between Rublev and Kachanov and a couple others, um, the draw was pretty much a cakewalk. He didn't really face very many opponents uh, that were highly ranked on on route to the final. Stepanos Tsitsipas was mainly the only one. And so I was surprised Nick put up as much of a fight against Novak Djokovic as he did. Um, but I think as for as much talent as we ascribe to him, and it's plenty and it's deserved, mm. there's a serious under underdeveloped, you know, fitness ability to contend, you know, points consistently and to have good tactical uh, sort of approaches to the game. So I feel like, I kind of felt like he lost the match when he was being buddy-buddy with Djokovic uh, before before a ball was struck because, to me, that indicated he wasn't necessarily going to bring his brash, uh, trash-talking, um, you know, bad boy persona to things. And he kind of already decided, well, I've gone far enough. I've done enough. Now I can just sort of bask in, in making my first Grand Slam final. That's not how you win a Grand Slam final, certainly not against Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I was really struck by that in the build-up as well, his uh, lack of brashness and lack of, I don't know, touch of arrogance or, or, or even, uh, you know, the a slight temptation to get under the skin of Djokovic. They, they both talked about the bromance owing to the fact that Kyrgios defended Djokovic when all the controversy was uh, engulfing him in Australia. So, they, you know, they, bo- they both used the word uh, bromance about their relationship. But uh, what jumped out to me more so was Kyrgios even, he was paying homage to the, the three greats and all that they had won. And effectively he'd said like, God, if, if I win one of these things, if I win one of these, don't, don't expect me like to win two. And I thought, why? Like, wave the white flag now, why don't you? Totally. I mean, I think the thing about Curious, and this is true, uh, no more true when he's talking a, a lot of smack, but certainly true when he's finding himself suddenly in a position of success or semi-success, which undeniably making the final of the tennis world's most prestigious slam it counts as success, uh, is immediately how scared he gets. Mm. And I think he's very quick to call other players soft. He very famously called Tsitsipas soft. Um, and he's been, you know, pretty much a nonstop uh, trash talk machine for the last couple of years. I don't mind that. I think tennis needs it. And I think the sport that Nick Curios, uh, in terms of his self-proclamation loves the most, which is basketball is full of it. I think that makes for great competition as long as it's not you know, harmful to other players. But it was interesting that he immediately pivoted off of that ahead of the match, kind of like I like like you indicated, great, waving the white flag even before a ball was struck. And so it just struck me like when he actually has a chance to put up or shut up, he goes away. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that was exciting about this final was how many new people seemed to come to it. I bet the ratings, we don't have the information yet, but I bet they will show that it's a whole lot of people who tuned into that final 
And based on my anecdotal sort of DMs and text messages, I can tell you it was a lot of people who don't normally watch uh, Grand Slam men's tennis finals. So I think net positive, certainly for him making it that far and, and being in the last stages of a slam. But also if he wants to, I think, be able to operate in a position of authority by calling everybody else soft, um, then I think he is doing a lot of projecting and probably needs a mental coach as well as a real coach so that he doesn't uh, scream in his box instead of play tennis, which is what we saw a lot of on Sunday. Yeah. Across the two weeks in the first round, for instance, he spat in the direction of a spectator. He accused a line judge of being, quote, a snitch as opposed to, I don't know, on his side. And then he became irate, it seemed, at a woman who was distracting him, who he said had had 700 drinks, distracting me when I'm serving in a Wimbledon final. There's no bigger occasion. Uh, You didn't believe me the first time and now it's happened again. It almost cost me the game. Why is she still here? She's drunk out of her mind in the first row speaking to me in the middle of a game. How is that acceptable? Kick her out. I know exactly who it is. It's the one with the dress. The one who's looked like she's had 700 drinks, bro. Uh, That woman's a 32-year-old Polish uh, lawyer, it turns out. She spoke to the Telegraph and said she'd only had two drinks and it was very hot and that she was only trying to be supportive. So I don't know. Maybe he had a point. Uh, One person's uh, supportive is another person's belligerent. I guess so. Although, you know, Nick Kyrgios is always talking about how good for tennis he is and how stuffy tennis is and how we need to shake it up. And then whenever anybody tries to shake it up in the stands, he freaks out and demands complete quiet. So it's sort of, look, nobody's been a a bigger defender of Nick Kyrgios's sort of persona and relative fresh vibes on the tennis tour, certainly on the men's side, than me and us at Racket. We put him on the cover. We did an interview with him during the pandemic. Um, and you know, I have a good amount of patience for his shenanigans. Obviously some of the abuse allegations that have been leveled against him, I hope are not true. I don't have any facts to, to dictate where that, uh, is going to net up. And we can talk about that if you like, but generally, um, you know, I'm, I'm all for new personalities who are brash. It has veered into abuse of umpires and abuse of, of officials in a way that feels like uh, a quick swift action should uh, curtail, and that not only goes for him, but certainly Zverev and some of the other players who cross the line at, uh, you know, what is essentially, if you're a ball person or a line judge or an umpire, your place of work, you deserve to be able to conduct yourself without uh, fear of, you know, abuse or violence, which I think at times has been uh, certainly tested by male players, especially on the pro tour. But I think, you know, again, when push comes to shove, He just showed that he was really soft. And I don't use that word accidentally. That's his word for other players who uh, are a little bit uptight or or need a lot of control. And I think the truth is, if he wants to be as hard as he purports to be, he can do it by showing up and caring and trying and actually uh, contending that match, which his talent might have indicated otherwise. But to me, he didn't really contend that match. It was over before it began. And I think for a next step, what I would love to see is a Nick Kyrgios taking himself a little bit seriously and putting in the work so that he could actually capitalize on some of this talent. Everybody said that. And I'm, I'm going to echo what most people have said, because he is good for tennis, especially when he plays well um, and and can hang in there and be a credible threat. It didn't feel like he was much of a credible threat, even a setup Mm. uh, in in this Wimbledon final. Mm. Uh, The other, and it's a, it's a relatively minor point, I suppose, but uh, I'm struggling to get a feel for his, personality sometimes whereby 
he wore the red Nike Air Jordans and there's, you know, a, a fine and it was more so, OK, it's an odd thing to do. But in his interview afterwards, he was talking about how, well, everyone else, you know, always does what uh, the rules say. And he's just, you know, not that way inclined. And he was almost presenting himself like a, a, a kind of, you know, like a slightly tiresome teenager you know like like the George Orwell of tennis they all go with the rules man but like look at me I see that you know I see the bigger picture it, it was it wasn't impressive it was a touch embarrassing it was tiresome teenager in the first throes of uh, self-actualization of some kind or other yeah I mean I think you're really on to something I think one thing that has struck me hanging around all these professionals isn't and this is true not only of players who are currently playing but also folks who have maybe gone on and retired, but have stayed part of the sport in some way, um, coaches or commentators, is that a lot of them have not only a very myopic worldview that places them at the center uh, as a protagonist, which I suppose you need as a professional athlete, but a lot of them are exceptionally stunted. There's not a whole lot about their worlds that has interacted with um, you know, the outside systems. Sure, they've come up with a hierarchical system of, you know, probably federations with, you know, in Australia, for example, there's the Ministry of Sport. You know, obviously here in the States, we have uh, a federal body called the USDA, you know, and I think for the most part, there's some kind of systematic training program a lot of these players have been put through, but it's not built to make them complete whole people who have coherent um, personalities or responsibilities to others. And if anything, they've just been cocooned in this sort of environment where nobody's trying to disturb them too much. And so if they stay, say stuff that doesn't really make sense, if they purport a worldview, whether it's Nick Kyrgios's where it seems that he's perfectly happy throwing bombs, but actually has no ability to take one in a way that actually somebody being tough would indicate that he would be able to, or if it's somebody like Novak Djokovic, who's clearly an incredible tennis player, but is, uh, you know, allowed to go on Instagram and, and Facebook live and talk about the healing properties of water and, and giving long hugs without any pushback. And when pushback happens, it's, you know, there's a huge, uh, uh, a huge brouhaha sort of that is created. It's just indicative of the fact that these guys are babies. They're all just babies, really. And I think the ones that aren't, the ones who can form coherent sentences and have some sort of ability to interact with the world um, are people who've probably done a lot of work with, you know, within, but also maybe are around people who kind of don't take as much crap. You know, Nick famously hasn't had a coach for many, many years. Uh, we've talked about this on this very program. Novak Djokovic doesn't have anybody in his life who is more powerful than he is. You know, mm. he's in a bit of an echo chamber. You know, the list could go on. And so when you think about somebody like Rafa Nadal or you think about somebody, um, you know, like uh, I'm struggling to think of a female example, Iga Sriantek, I hope, people who seem a little bit more maybe willing to take responsibility for their actions or able to deal with the world in a larger sense. Iga famously reads a lot of books and Rafa is known to be sort of a gentleman on the court and off. Um, you know, that I think comes at a high cost that they have spent a lot of time and effort cultivating. So for the most part, all these folks are essentially, as you said, kind of teens and how that energy gets used in pursuit of professional tennis glory and also becoming a better person is really varies on a case by case basis. So it's a really interesting space to spend time in because it's not like they have teammates or coaches who can keep them in line. You know what I mean? Yes, and in Nick Curious's sure. case, absolutely nobody is doing that. Yeah.
Kyrgios has been summoned to a court in Canberra next month. He faces a a charge of assaulting a former girlfriend. I don't mean to minimise that situation clearly, but there's nothing we can say about that legally over here. So we are quite restricted on that front. But um, that is very much ongoing in the uh, background in his life over the last couple of weeks. I have done a, a really dreadful job of managing the clock here. So we're kind of down to our last um, 90 seconds. Elena Rubikina has beaten Ons Jabur 3-6-6-2-6-2. Uh, 23 years of age, ranked 23rd in the world. Represents Kazakhstan, born in Moscow, which is an interesting uh, uh, situation. Uh, this is yet another first-time winner. The, 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 the women's side of the game seems to be producing first-time winners now uh, routinely. I think most of that in the slam categories has to do with best of five versus best of three. It really does favor the experienced over the newcomer and anything can happen in three sets, whereas more predictable things happen over five. That said, Rubikina was somebody to watch for quite a while. She had an amazing 2020 before the world shut down, um, you know, and she's sort of been hovering. So she's a dangerous opponent who can, you know, notch top 10 wins. I do think I speak for almost everyone, maybe outside of Kazakhstan and non-inclusive of Moscow. When I say that, I think most people in the world are rooting for Ons Jabir to, um, make uh, for Africa's first uh, Wimbledon champion. Uh, she's an Arab woman, obviously from Tunisia. I hope she gets back there again because her tennis is delightful and she's known across the tour for being a great, great person and, and very warm and sort of like we were talking about, sort of complete as a human being. Mm. So, you know, here's hoping she gets she gets back to those later stages in slams. Okay. Listen, sorry to rush you at the end there. We'll um, be talking to you, I'm sure, as the US Open approaches. But Caitlin Thompson of Racket Magazine. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Caitlin. Thank you.